Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. Alright, so we're continuing on uh, with the story of Joseph and with the chapters 42 and 43, together it's quite a long reading, so we'll read it in segments and then comment, um, uh, but unfortunately we don't get the, the grand finale like where he tells us who he is, um, that's next week. All right. So I understand we've already spoken about Joseph and we've looked at his character and, and where he came from in the first phase of his life as a child and where he was the favoured one. Um, and then we see how he was poorly treated and now with chapters 42 and 43 we see him elevated or restored. Um, so we've seen him as a type of Christ from the beginning with his with him being the beloved, the beloved of the Father. And, um, uh, and it's really beautiful as you see his whole story, like it's quite, um, there's so many stages of it and so many things you can learn from his story. But when you look at the story of Joseph, you don't see any of, any of his um, sort of complaining. You don't see him ever sort of saying, woe is me. You don't see him crying out like David in the Psalms where he's really down about his situation. You don't see him, um, you don't really have much dialogue from Joseph. It's always a story about him and about his journey, uh, which I thought was interesting. And it sort of reminds us that often in our struggle, we can sort of complain about it and we can sort of just pour out our heart or our complaint to everyone around us rather than to God. And then it sort of dilutes that that intimate relationship that we have with God where we're trusting fully in him. Um, and I know Father Yaub always says that, you know, we should always seek those, the secret encounters with the Lord and just always be seeking that deeper intimacy with the Lord where even if you're carrying a struggle, you deny yourself and you just lay it out before the Lord because he sees. Um, and there's, there's a real gift in that because you also receive the gift or receive that response in secret because it's just between you and God. And I think that's sort of what happened with Joseph. <clears throat> and also with that same sort of uh, image of Joseph as, as a type of Christ, we see that he, he was one of 12 and he was the, the favoured brother, but he was rejected by his own people. So just as um, Christ was rejected by his own people, the son, the children of Israel, Christ. Uh, Joseph as a type of Christ is also rejected by the sons of Israel. <clears throat> so we'll start reading from chapter 42. Just we'll read the first five verses. Is there a reader? Just so it's not just my voice. Thank you. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? 
And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity before him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Okay, so we see here, and I love how it says in the first verse, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And it's almost as if, like, you know, you can imagine, like, you, you guys are mostly still at home. Like, if you've got an issue, if you want to find a job, or if you want to study, you want to pass your exam, if you're just sitting around, nothing is going to happen, and your parents are going to be like, what are you doing? Are you just sitting there? Do something. So it's the same sort of scenario. There was, a, there was a, a famine all over the world and they were sort of just trapped in their fear, trapped in this situation without any sort of resolve to, to help themselves. And I think in our own struggle also, if we sort of just wait around, waiting for some chariot of fire to come down and resolve our issue, it's not going to happen. We have to take action with prayer, um, regardless of whatever the situation or struggle that you're in. Um, if you... Just sit and dwell in it. It's not going to improve your situation. We have to use the wisdom of God. We have to use the resources around us and um, seek wise counsel so that we can then make decisions and make, take action. Um, so in this situation, Jacob is the one that prompts them and he's telling his sons, you know, don't just look around at each other. You have to, there is grain. There is, there is a solution to this problem. And you just have to take that, that journey to Egypt. And so we know Egypt is always a representative of the past life or of the life of sin or slavery because that's what happened with the Israelites. So we, we, if we sort of keep it in that context, they have to go back to this, revisit this, this memory of their slavery, of their, their um, struggle in order to then overcome. So sometimes we have to deal with past hurt or we have to deal with um, maybe an unresolved relationship or whatever it is, we have to deal with that so that we can then move forward in our, um, in our sort of journey with God. Um, we can't just sort of leave the past un, unresolved. Um, and so then we see here that the, the brothers or the sons of Israel are prompted because of their, the word of their father. And I also want to, sorry, I forgot to mention that if we refer back to the previous chapter, there was just one, one point that I wanted to make with the, the way that the, the conclusion of that, in, that conversation between Pharaoh and Joseph when he, he interprets the dream. And Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he says, there is, like, he, he, he can't help but see the wisdom of God and the discernment of God in Joseph. And so Joseph goes from this position of complete depravity and complete, like, the worst possible situation you could be in, where he's completely forgotten, he's completely unseen, nobody knows he's there, nobody cares for him, he's in his own little um, uh, world in this prison, and then he's finally seeing he's, re he's restored, not just to you know, the son of Israel, but to the king of Egypt, second in charge. Um, and I love the way that even Pharaoh, who is not a believer, who is a, like we could say, a Gentile, he looks at Joseph and says, who, who else is there with this 
wisdom and discernment of God. And he, he ascribes even, like even though he doesn't know the God of Joseph, he says there's no other way you can understand or be able to bring about this, this revelation. And so I think even in our, in our lives, we, we're in a world that doesn't accept God and it doesn't promote God, it doesn't promote a life of humility or anything that our faith tells us to, to follow. Um, but even in that, Joseph was very much in the world once he was promoted to Egypt and he was living among people that didn't believe what he believed. But he could still be successful and he could still be a source of light because he was in that position. And so I think we should also take that as um, a lesson that, you know, we can be successful in this world without it compromising our values as well. That, you know, somebody else might say, oh no, it's the, Pharaoh, the Egyptians, we don't, we don't mix with the people of the world. But <clears throat> it was only in that position that he could save the world. And so if you're called to a position of power, a position of um, glory, as long as it doesn't affect your, your inner relationship with God, it doesn't affect your humility within you, then I don't think there's anything that hinders us from seeking that, um, that success even in a, a worldly position, as long as we are still in that good standing with God. Because as even Christ said in the reading that we read on Sunday, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So I don't think it's a, a challenge between being ambitious and also um, maintaining our integrity before God. Because um, I think a lot of people might feel that it's um, a sort of conflict of faith, but it doesn't have to be. Okay. All right, so we'll continue reading from verse 6. Now Joseph was a governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. Okay, he was still there. <clears throat> So we see here that this, uh, now they've made their journey and they've come to, to Egypt, to the courts of um, where Joseph is. And anyone who comes into that place, they're all in a desperate need. There's nowhere else they can find grain. They need uh, this for their life, livelihood of them, themselves and their families. And so in the same way, Joseph's brothers come before him and they bow down the before with their faces to the earth. And so straight away, that's a a fulfillment of his dream that he had with the um, with the Balelos bowing down to the to the to him as the larger one, and so when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but they did not recognize him. And I think that sort of it's probably for the reason that he's now like he's twenty years on, so he's a grown man. When they saw him, he was a teenager, and now. He's dressed as an Egyptian, so he's he's probably fully shaven with all the the fancy Egyptian makeup that they they always have in the uh, as as they portray with the ancient Egyptians. 
Um, so there's no reason for them to even have time to look at his face because they're ba basically bowing their, their faces down to the earth. Whereas Joseph sees them, he hears that they're from the land of Canaan, he counts there's, there's 10 of them, um, and so he recognizes them. And it doesn't make any mention of him feeling this, this urge to sort of exert his power on them or have any revenge on them because he has every right to and he has every position. He has, like if he just mentions to Pharaoh what, what's happened here and who these people are, um, then that would be the end of them. But when, when scripture tells us he saw his brothers and he recognized them, it's almost as if there's this longing and this, um, this recognition like he sees his people. Because if we remember Joseph is amongst, he's been living in, in a place that he doesn't belong and in a culture that is not his and it's not consistent with his upbringing, it's not consistent with his beliefs. <clears throat> so even though he was elevated and though he was promoted and he's, he has everything at his fingertips, it doesn't necessarily mean he has that peace and contentment within him. Because at the end of the day, he's away from his father and away from his brothers and he hasn't been reconciled uh, in this relationship. And so um, I heard commentary that the way he deals with this situation from this point forward, he could have easily done one of two things. He could have said, hey guys, it's me, I'm Joseph. And then they'd be like in fear and they'd be like scrambling for words and they'd be like, I'm sorry, so sorry, so sorry. Because they, they could be killed at that point. Or he could have just dealt with them and, and, and exerted his uh, revenge on them for, for the way that they t treated him so poorly. Um, but instead of that, I feel like it's, uh, it's almost as if he's trying to draw out a repentance from them because he takes this time. He, and he's a busy man. Like everyone is coming to, for grain uh, from, from Joseph and he has to basically manage this whole operation. But he spends quite a bit of time um, going over this whole, um, like when he tells them, and we'll read it, um, that they're spies. And when he convicts them of being spies, it's a reasonable thing for him to say because Canaan was in, it was an enemy of Egypt at that time. And so they're saying we're coming from Canaan. And so then he has reason to have his back up because they're from enemy territory. So for them to be coming, and there's a group of them, he doesn't have any reason to think that they're related. When they say, no, we're brothers, we're sons of one man, um, then he, he pushes them further because he wants to prove that, yes, okay, you said there's 11, there's only 10 of you here, I'm going to test you. And so there's also uh, one of the early church fathers' comments saying that we too are all sons of one man coming to seek grain. Um, and so if we all, as one church, we all come here every, every Sunday, every liturgy, we all gather as one body, as one children of our, our Lord, um, and we're seeking that one body, which is Christ. Um, and so that's another way that you could sort of portray that as well. So Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, 
but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I who spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Okay, we'll stop there. <clears throat> so then he's, you can see the the fear that they must be experiencing at this point. They've got the highest men in Egypt, the only source of sustenance to save their lives, and he's not happy with them. Um, so you can imagine the state they're in, and Joseph is in a complete position of power. And some might say, okay, he's being a bit harsh, but he's trying to bring about a change in their heart. So if he didn't go through this whole process and he didn't give them a taste of what it was to be in prison, they wouldn't have repented and they wouldn't have um, really realised the depth of their situation. Um, and so with this, he, it's still he's exercising his prudence and his wisdom because he's testing them, he's bringing out their... Um, their honesty and testing, testing that they are honest men, as they say, um, and then he gives them that gives them that trial of the three days in prison. But something I read said that he didn't actually tell them, "I'm going to put you in prison for three days." He just said, "I'm take them to prison." And he's speaking. All of this is happening through an interpreter, so it's a very external. They're sort of waiting to see what the guy's going to say, and nobody's speaking the same language. And it would have been a really very difficult situation. So. I think it's warranted, considering what they um, inflicted on their own brother, but it's also to bring about the, the righteous sort of outcome, which we'll see. Um, there's also another point that I, I read, St. John Chrysostom says that, Saint, uh, that Joseph is also, he has this strong longing for his brother, Benjamin, obviously, because he loves him and because he, he hasn't seen him for this long. But he also wants to see if Benjamin had the same fate as him, because now Benjamin's the beloved of Jacob and he's the favourite. And this by no means supports favourite children. This is, this is the reason why it's wrong. <laughs> but um, Joseph, he longs for his brother and he wants to ensure that he's safe and they didn't go and do the same thing to, to his little brother as they did to him. <clears throat> okay, so then, uh, yeah, so they all put together um, in prison for three days, and there's also obviously the significance of the three days uh, whereby they might be resurrected afterwards. Okay, so from verse 18. Then Joseph said to them at the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die and they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. 
And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through the interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Okay, so we'll stop there. So we see there that he's really testing them. And then, it's, then you see their repentance. And the fact that they, they think they're just talking to each other, but he's very much aware of what they're saying. Um, uh, it's not as if they... And even if he could understand, it wouldn't make any sense to him if it wasn't Joseph. Because they're saying, oh, if I told you we should have, um, when he pleaded with us, we'd, we, if we had heard him, therefore this distress has come upon us. Like they think they're being punished for the behavior that they um, had towards their brother. Um, and they say, we are truly guilty. And again, because they're in this state of fear, and we don't know how long this conversation took or if it was over a longer period than it, it seems in the text. But they are really in a very difficult situation. Um, and I think we can sort of um, relate to that, that if we feel like we're in a really difficult situation, whatever it is, um, and we feel stuck, and these guys feel stuck, and they feel like we have no access to the solution, we've come here to get grain, we can't get grain, and now look, we're in prison. Um, and sometimes in our lives, things like that happen, and we think, okay, we're just going to, you know, life's going to plan out this way, and it doesn't. It doesn't uh, work as we plan because God has another way. And if you see the whole life of Joseph, there's no way you would imagine any good could come of betrayal and being sold into slavery and all of this. But where there seems to be no way, God uses the most unlikely circumstances so that we have no doubt that it was his hand. Um, because if everything went smoothly, we would have no need for him and we would have no need to, to cling to him as our source of life. But in this situation, they, they see Joseph as their only source of life because he's the only source of bread and they have nowhere else to turn and he has complete power over them. Um, so they are basically at their knees and they're at their, their lowest point. And it's at that point that they reach their repentance. And I think God often does that with us. It's not that he's punishing us, but he's giving us these teaching moments to bring about change and to bring about a lasting repentance in our own lives. So I think if we are able to sort of step back and see the positive that could come <clears throat> of a struggle that we're in or any sort of um, tribulation in our lives, then when you step back, and again, this is after 20 years um, of this, this struggle that Joseph has endured, and that doesn't take into account the, the animosity that he would have experienced from his brothers um, growing up and being favoured by his dad and that not working out for him in, in any, any positive way anyway. Um, uh, so he's just had a very difficult life and now he's been separated by his, from his family and so this is his um, opportunity to bring about that reconciliation um, and, you see, and you see how he does it very prudently. So it also brings, um, brings us to the point where 
Like all of this is sort of bringing, bringing us to that point where he wants his father to come. And so we're going to continue reading and you'll see that. Because <clears throat> in the same way, Christ also does everything in his power. He'll go to any length. He'll go to any um, measure to bring Israel, his chosen people, back to him. And you see that all throughout the, the readings of the 50 days where he goes and he meets someone in the most unlikely situation to bring them back. And he goes out of his way to meet the most, the most you know, awkward, the most excluded people. And he wants to bring them back because he's chosen them, not for any good that is in them, um, but for the, for the love that he has for us. Um, and so that's the object of what Joseph is doing here, to bring Israel, which is a representation of his people. Okay, so we'll keep reading. So, yeah. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Then they went to Jacob their father in the <coughs> land of Canaan and told them all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men, we are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me so I shall know that you are not spies but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack, and when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my grey hair with sorrow to the grave. Okay. All right, so we see the, the rest of that story, and they're going to go back to um, Jacob with the, the grain, but without their brother. And so we see that there's a, one of the church fathers' comments saying that the ten brothers come to receive the grain, and the ten is represented, representation of the law. So the law come for that salvation or for that, that life, but they cannot obtain it. And so through the law on its own, we cannot obtain salvation because the law was necessary to bring about awareness of our sin, but on its own, as it says in Romans, it could not save us. We need the salvation of Christ. So that's why he sends them away to be then brought back so that the full 12 are there, which is uh, a representation, obviously, of the New Testament. So when we read this, we see that they go back, they have grain, there's enough to sort of keep them going for a bit, but it's not 
the solution. It's not, it's not going to last because their brother is now in prison. Uh, so they have to go back and restore um, this relationship or go back and sort of mend this situation. And they obviously still don't know that it's Joseph or that that's, he, he's the reason why this is all happening. <clears throat> so then um, another contemplation um, for this is when we come with an offering. So the brothers all came with their money in their bags to buy grain. They go away with the grain and with the money. And so sometimes when we come with our own offering, when we come in prayer before God and we say, yep, God, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my whole heart or I'm going to, to give you this time in prayer every day or I'm going to make sure I do my quiet time every day. And that's our offering. But then we go away and we take it with us. It's not. It's not a true offering. We haven't laid it down before God. Um, and I think it's something we all do because we're distracted and we're in a world that's always preoccupying us. We're there standing in prayer, even in a meeting, and our minds are completely somewhere else. We don't even know which line, whether we read the psalm or not. Like, I think if we offer little with concentration, with our heart, and with our uh, dedication on a regular basis, it's, much, it's a much more worthy offering than offering these huge amounts coming every day and doing all this stuff with our hearts very far. It's as if we've come with our offering and we've taken it with us. Yeah, so that's the, that's the whole of chapter 42. And I like this um, contemplation in the, in the book that we have um, before us. So it says, under the explanation, when Joseph's brothers deprived themselves of his company by selling him, all of Canaan lost its blessing and entered into a famine. Egypt was blessed because of Joseph and became the source of sustenance for the hungry. Thus his brothers had to go into Egypt to en and encounter him. Jacob asks his sons to go into Egypt to buy wheat, and the Bible here deliberately uses the name Jacob and not Israel, even though he had already received the divine promise and given the name Israel. In all likelihood, when the family was deprived of Joseph, the type of Christ, they lost its character as Israel, God's people. He asked them to go down to Egypt to descend from their arrogance in order to be blessed by the church whose members came from other nations. He said, why do you look at one another? They should instead look at the source of sustenance. And so that bit, I love that, it sort of refers back to the use of the name. So the use of Jacob and then it says sons of Israel. It sort of reminds you of the former life and then the new life that they've been uh, entered into. All right, so we can go on to chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had bought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall, see, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? 
Then Judah said to Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surely f will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then you then let me bear the blame forever. For we, if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. Okay, so we just stop there. So we see um, between the brothers and between Jacob, there's a lot of blaming. Um, so in the, the end of the previous chapter, um, I'll just find it. Like they're all pointing the finger saying, oh, see, I told you we shouldn't have sold, sold, sold our brother. We should have had mercy on him. And then Judah's like, why did you tell them that there's another brother? And then they're like, they were just pointing at each other, but it doesn't fix the situation. Nobody did anything wrong. They were just being honest. Um, and I think we should also learn from this that when we are honest and true and we are dealt a bad hand, we shouldn't question having been truthful or having made those, those wise um, decisions. Because at the end of the day, you could do everything perfectly and God has another plan and he wants to direct you. No, take this way. Or no, okay, you're going to have to deal with this for 20 years and then I'll give you a solution. And we don't have an answer for that, unfortunately. We just have to trust the hand of God. Um, and yeah, and there's no use. Like often we could do exactly the same thing. And sort of just point the finger and say, oh, why did you do this? Or why I shouldn't have done that? Or I shouldn't have taken that job, whatever. But it doesn't resolve your situation. It just gives you that bitter feeling. And it doesn't help you grow from the, uh, from the experience at all. Um, yeah. Okay, we'll continue from there. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Okay, so let's stop there. So we see now they're sort of trying to make amends. They're coming with an offering and they trying to make it good um, so that they can get their brother back. So if you see the, the um, gifts they come with, they come with little balm, honey, spices and myrrh and pistachio nuts. And I think it reminds us of the burial and it reminds us of that, that gift of our sorrow. We come with our sorrow, we come with our joy, we come with our sadness and our repentance before God. Um, and it's the same way that we approach Christ in prayer. If we choose, if we want to come, in, in order to receive from the hand of God, we have to come in, in all those emotions. You can't sort of wait till you feel like praying. You can't wait till things are sorted or wait till you're righteous to come before God. It doesn't work like that. We have to come whether we're in that state of sorrow, whether we're in a state of joy. You know, St. Paul always says, you know, if you're joyful, sing psalms. If you're, you know, um, whatever you have within you, God can see it and you just come and that is your offering in prayer before God. And so he says that, you know, bring those and bring double the money. So it's as if, like, don't look back and say, oh, I didn't, I've wasted my time. I haven't, I haven't I'm grown in my relationship with God. No, bring that as well as a new offering and come back and, and bring yourself before God. Um, and the Father always invites us back. And it's, um, 
and it's always this invitation to come. And in verse 13, it says, Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. And the man is Joseph. So if we arise and we come with our offering, we bring someone with us and we are able to come before Christ with our offering uh, more worthily. Uh, okay, so we'll continue verse 14. Oh, sorry, did you go further than that? I get 15. So the men took their present and Benjamin and they took double the money in their hand and rose, went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house and slaughter an, slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we that we are brought in so that he may so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys okay we just stop there so we see here that imagine i don't know how much time has passed so joseph is waiting for his brothers to finish their food and have to come back so i don't know how long that grain lasted that you can imagine every time somebody comes in, he's like, oh, it's not my brothers, you know. So that would have been really hard for him because he's waiting to reunite with his brothers and he's, he's done, he's, he's tested them and he's waiting to see if it's worked, right? What if they never come back and then I've just sort of imprisoned my brother? Um, but he's... Exactly. And he's just waiting it out. He was waiting um, every day. Imagine he's just waiting to see their face. Um, and so when he comes, when they come, he starts slaughtering an animal. He's bringing them into his house. So they're terrified. They, I don't think they would be happy at all to be coming to this meal. Because the last time they saw Joseph, he's like, no, you're spies. You're coming to spy my land. And, you know, I'm taking your brother hostage. And now they're being invited into his house. So they're completely confused and they don't know what's going on. Um, but they've been brought into this, uh, the palace. Um, and they're just waiting to see what's to come of it. So when we also come before God, I think if we, we come without the fear of God, then it's, it's a less acceptable offering as well. So we come with whatever state we are, but we also come with the fear of God in our, in our hearts. And I remember one time when I was back in uni many, many years ago. I went on a retreat with some, some church friends. Um, and I don't know, so there was something about this particular camp, but it was just a really holy camp. And I just remember 
all of us coming away, and everyone just wanted to sing psalms and, and do all these holy things. And I just felt the fear of God, and I was like, this is what the fear of God is. It's, like, it's as if he's just, everything you do, you're like, I don't want to upset him. I don't want to distance myself from God because I've tasted and I've seen what it is to be near him. Um, and I think that's what the fear of God is. It's not to be afraid, but it's just to be in a relationship with someone that you care so dearly for that you don't want to upset them. Um, and that's how we should be when we approach God. Okay, so we'll continue reading. Uh, I think 19 and then I'll tell you. That's right. when, they, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought, ba brought it back in our hand and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave them their donkey's feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard, for they heard that there would be bread to eat. Okay, we'll stop. <clears throat> so we see here that they come, and they're talking to the steward. They haven't seen Joseph yet. So they're like, we came, and there was money in our bags, but we didn't take the money. Somebody else put the money in our bags. And so it's like they're trying to clean the slate and cover themselves. Um, and you can imagine the situation, and again, there's translators and stuff, but Joseph hasn't entered the scene yet. Um, but it, there was a, a comment um, in the early fathers where it said, we think we can come before Christ with our offering, and it's, it's as if they're saying, here, here's our money, we, we brought double and we've got everything we, we, we need to pay, let us just pay um, uh, and get this over and done with. But we can't purchase our salvation, it's not by our works alone that we can come before him and be acceptable before him. It's only by his invitation that he gives us his grace and he invites us into that, that union and that relationship with him. Um, and also in verse um, 23, the steward says, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has, have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And so there was a comment to say that you know, the faithful steward, so we don't know who this is, and I don't know that we sort of read about him again, but he is a representation of a faithful steward. And it says in James, it is required of a, of a steward that one be found faithful. And so we are all stewards of God, and we're all stewards <clears throat> of the house of God, and we have to be a representation of that peace. When people come in fear, or people come with the uncertainty um, into this into the church or into a relationship with God, we have to be that assurance to say, no, come, come. You know, God is, or God is waiting and we come in, um, with, with that gift of peace to anyone who is uncertain um, uh, so that we can be a clear representation of, of, our, of our Heavenly Father. Okay, and then in verse 25, Joseph coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Um, and so Joseph 
represents Christ again, and he comes to them at noon. So imagine again, they're waiting all day, and they're waiting, and they want like, what is going to happen? He's going to come, he's going to throw us all into prison, he's fattening us up so he can put us in prison. Um, and so noon is always a representation <clears throat> of the heat of the day. So Christ always comes at that, that moment where we think we can't take any more, and we're in a struggle, or we're in um, a state of like dire straits, and we, we feel we're stuck. Um, and he comes and he meets us in that moment. Um, and he says, yeah, I have, I have the sustenance that you need. All right, we'll continue reading from verse 26. <clears throat> and when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive, and they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he left, lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you speak to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother, so Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and then by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times so much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. And I love how that sort of um, concludes, because now he's there with his brothers, but unfortunately he can't even just sit and eat with them as, as brothers would around a table. So he still hasn't <clears throat> made himself, um, reveal, like revealed himself to them. Um, but you just see the, the amount of love that he has. He hasn't seen his brothers for 20 years. His only interaction was being sold off as a slave. And he probably didn't know what they were doing when they were scheming at the time as well. And now he's finally met them and he's, he's gifting them and he's, he's sharing this, this uh, wealth that he has come into with his brothers. There's never been like sort of um, any mention of his, his um, any hatred or any revenge or any sort of desire to sort of get even with them. But he just really, really did all of this to bring about their repentance and to see that they were honest and true men, um, which is what God does with us. And Christ will go to any length to, to bring us through trial and to bring us through difficult things to, to ensure that we fully know his love and that we fully realize the depth of our sin that is the reason for our separation from him. And so when they come to that realization and they, they are united uh, then they are able to be united with Joseph, who is a type of Christ, and then they serve the bread. Uh, so then they are filled once they come to that uh, restoration. So I think it just reminds us that if we just keep putting Christ's name there instead of Joseph, that he desires to bless us and he desires to meet with us and to have that, uh, to have us sit around that table with him. But we can't do it until we've sort of dealt with our past, you know, dealt with any um, hurt that prevents us coming before him um, so that we, we can then um, have access to those treasures that he has for us. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Was there any questions or anything? Comments?
This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.